Hey, I want to welcome everybody to Rockbridge this weekend. You're here at one of our six physical locations as we're one church in multiple locations. You're also, some of you are watching digitally or online, and we're delighted and excited that however you're here, that you're, you're here. So, uh, hey, listen, we started a new series last weekend. It, it comes out of the Easter message. If you were here, if not, you can, uh, I'll catch us up a little bit. But if you're new to Rockbridge, just so you know, uh, one of the things we do is we package all of our messages in similar themes, content, similar passages uh, of Scripture. So we're in a new series called The Second Mile, and we didn't really get to that as much last week, but we defined a Christian as, as something, uh, that, as, some, as someone rather, who has been, who has, whose life has been invaded by the holy love of Christ. So a Christian is someone whose life has been invaded by the holy love of Christ. And, and we kind of had some homework last week. If you were here, nobody's checking, so it's no big deal. But it was basically to get in a position and let God love you uh, the way he has loved you as in Christ. And there's not anybody I'm speaking to that is far from that or uh, that's not available to them. But this love of Christ does something. It, it becomes, we said it becomes our why. That we do what we do because the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ becomes our because, becomes our reason. And, and, and that's just where we left it. And then we've got this prayer for this, season, this series, which is God, help me, help us, help Rockbridge live on this metaphor that I'll explain more this weekend called the second mile. All, all of our locations online, please join with me. We'll pray together. God, there is a vision for our lives that the world offers us, that society offers us. There's a vision for our lives that our own selfishness and, and ego and flesh or sin nature offers us. But God, you also offer a vision. And, and Lord, I'm just going to ask in the, in the name of Jesus and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us to give us eyes to see and a heart to grasp your vision for your people. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So let, let's, let's begin and let's ask ourselves this question. What is, and we can put God or we can put my, but what is God's vision or my vision for my life? That when you think about your life and the direction you're moving and the direction you want to go or what your life is all about, your horizon, what gets you up and moves you forward, what is your vision for your life? Now, now, when we ask that question, there's a couple of areas that we're going to wrestle with, okay? The first one is this, does God have a say in our vision? Does God have a say in, in what he wants from us or what he, what he thinks humanity ought to look like and what it means to be a human being? Does God get a, vo a vote in that? Now, listen, here's the deal. Some of us are like, well, God's job is really to help me pursue my vision. And, and so God's job is to bless me, protect me, and then when bad things happen to me, you know, maybe God helps make them less bad or helps me get through them. So God is sort of like my helper, but he's certainly not my guide. He's certainly not who I'm following. In fact, I just ask God to help me with my vision. And then some of us, if we're honest, would be like, no, God's actually an interference to my vision. But what we're going to see as we get into the Word of God is that God does have a vision for us. 
And, and, that vi- and it's important for us to embrace what that is. And so to illustrate that, and I've, I've used this illustration a time or two before. Some of you are scared because a preacher is holding a bat in a, in a service. But, but think about this baseball bat, okay? Now, if I asked you, what is the purpose of this bat? Why was this bat made? Uh, you know, I think all of us would say, well, it's made to hit a baseball. That's the, that's the vision that the creators of a baseball bat have. That these Louisville Slugger people, it is to make contact with a round ball as part of the game of baseball. But we also know that baseball bats have been used as weapons. We also know baseball bats have been used to assault people, to destroy property. We, we know some people just might collect baseball bats. They might sit in the corner. But at the end of the day, we would ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this baseball bat? And it, and it is what the creators intended it for you, that the best use of this, the vision of this bat, is that it would make contact with a round ball in this game called baseball. Now, God is our creator, similarly created us for a purpose. God created us with a vision in mind for you and I. But oftentimes, we just like this baseball bat is not always used to make contact with a baseball, we sometimes hijack that vision or we morph it or we edit it or we revise it or we reject it. But sometimes we don't get used or we don't do what God created us, calls us to do. And and so first, let's just understand this, that God as our creator, God as our maker and our redeemer does have a vision for our lives. Now, we can reject it, we can play around with it, but he has a vision for our lives. So so that's the first part. Now, the the other part of of this whole vision thing is when I say vision, most of us go to D.O., do, what we do, Our, our jobs, our careers, I want to do, I want to be a mom, I want to do things, right? I, I have a career, I have a path, I have a sport, I have school, uh, and we think of what we do, that that's the vision. You know, even that question, that's like the second question we ask people, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and that, that sort of becomes our quasi-vision, and so our, our prayers look like this, God, help me do what I do better, or help me have more favor in what I do. And, and so the challenge for us is, is as we get underneath what God is inviting us to do in, in terms of our, our vision is to understand that God's vision doesn't have to do with what we do as much as we think it does. Because here's the deal. You know people who are good at what they do, yet they can't control their anger. You know people who are good at what they do, and, and, and yet, they have a problem with self-control. They have a problem with their reaction. They, they, they can't, they're, they, they're, you know, they're great at their sport, but they're on their 17th marriage. You, you know people who, who are good at what they do, which is sort of what society rewards, but who they are outside of that environment is not good or is not helpful or is not wholesome. And so when we start talking about God's vision for the people that God created and that God has a vision for and a plan for and a purpose, we have to understand something. And and, and this is so critical to getting on board with what God's doing is that Jesus' vision for us, Jesus' vision for us is found in the invitation to follow him. And it's less about what we do and more about who we become. 
And, and, and we just got to let that sit and marinate because so much of our life is, what do you have to do today? What are you going to do this weekend? And God's like, who are you? Who are you becoming? And we start there. And we find this in multiple places in Scripture. In Romans 8, 29, we get this. God knew his people in advance. So God knew everybody in advance, has plans, has a vision. And he chose them to become like his son. We call that becoming Christ-like. It comes up again in Colossians 3.10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn. That's our word disciple, which we've been talking about since Easter. Someone who learns how to live their life from Jesus. Learn to know your creator and become like him. So when, just like the makers of this baseball bat said, this bat is designed to be held in a certain way, swung in a certain way, to make contact with the ball in this game called baseball, God created you with a design of what it would look like for you and I to live under his benevolent rule as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God's goal, God's vision for you is that you and I become someone. So Jesus goes into a, a long sermon that we now know, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew's Gospel, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. And the Sermon on the Mount, when you read it, sometimes you read it like this long laundry list of to-dos. You know, God's got all this stuff to say about marriage and about divorce and about sexuality and about money and about how we live and how we treat people. And, and so we're going to look at a snapshot inside the Sermon on the Mount where God's uh, instructions to us <coughs> come out in, in, in a powerful way and will invite us to think about his vision for us of who we're becoming and, and, and that vision of pursuing what it looks like to be made in the image of God and called back to live in accordance with the vision God has for us. So we'll start reading in verse 38. Jesus is in the section of the sermon where he gives six kind of what's called antithesis, where he takes a part of the Old Testament law and he gets beyond the letter of the law and goes to the spirit of the law. So this is a couple of them. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. And you're like, what, what, what does he mean? Do I just become a doormat? What does he mean, don't resist an evildoer? He goes on, explains itself. He's on the contrary. He says, let's say someone slaps you on the right cheek. He says, turn the other cheek and offer it to him also. Now, when you read that as a do, that's like, seriously? And this is when we're tempted to become editors of God's word, right? This is when we're tempted to read God's word like, we, you know, we're going through the, the, the buffet line at Golden Corral. Well, I'll have some of that, but those beets, I don't want anything to do with those beets because my mama made me eat beets from, you know, I'm not going to eat beets, right? And we just want to pick and choose. But let's embrace what he's saying, not become editors, not become buffet line Christians, but just read what he says. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away the shirt off your back, let him have your coat as well. And, and we just got to let that shock us for just a minute and, and then embrace the vision because this is part of a grand vision that Jesus is communicating, okay? And, and so if we step back, we just need to understand a couple of things that Jesus is doing. All right, first of all, we need to understand more than behavior, God starts working on the heart. 
that God is working on the heart, okay? And his plan is that, his, is not, is that who we are flows from our heart. And that, that heart has to be addressed, and the heart has to be spoken of, and the heart has to be dealt with. In Ezekiel, he says this, I'll give you a new heart. I will give you a new and right desires, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love. New hearts of love. And so, as Jesus is preaching through, talking through the Sermon on the Mount, what we understand is he has given us a vision of who we can become as we follow him, as we follow Jesus. So we can't read this as a list of to-dos. We read this as an invitation to become someone. So here's what we tend to do. We look at the Sermon on the Mount and we're like, hey, we can't do that, but let's start with this question. What kind of person can do that? What kind of person can do that? What is the kind of person that can turn the other cheek, that doesn't have to opt for revenge and retaliation and getting even? What, what kind of person can say, hey, you're trying to take my shirt. I'm going to give you my coat as well. So generous, not worth looking out for number one. You know, you can't take away my joy, my happiness. You know, there's never, that's never threatened. What kind of person can do that? That's the way we need to read the Sermon on the Mount, first and foremost. It came sort of at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and, and he's inviting them to become what we were made to be originally, image bearers of the King of Kings. But what did we do? We said, I'm not going to use this bat to hit baseballs. I'm going to use it to do what I want to do with it. And we took our, this vision God had for us, and we hijacked it, and we sinned, and we rebelled, and we pursued selfish interests. We pursued the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, the, and we followed and fell for the deceptions of our great enemy. And so Jesus is sort of calling us back and saying, okay, what kind of person can do the things I'm describing? Now, when, when you stop there, then you realize something. Jesus' message is radical and revolutionary, not when you die, but as you live. That his vision for us is not just to give us a good place to go when our biological clock runs out, but it's a radical and revolutionary way to live your life right now. And, and we miss it, right? We were like, oh, yeah, but, but, but that, that, that Sermon on the Mount stuff, that's like for super, super Christians. That's not for everybody, but he gave it to a large crowd of people, and, and it is for everybody. So it's radical and revolutionary. So here, here's what I want us to do, okay? I, I, I think it would be helpful because it's so tempting to take what Jesus says and just edit it and become selective about the parts. that You, you want the heaven part, but I don't want that, hey, turn the other cheek part because that just doesn't work. And, and my argument would be you can't cut and paste Jesus. You can't pick and choose Jesus. So, so here's what I want to invite us to do, okay? When you get underneath the teachings of Jesus that are found in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're so powerful, ask yourself a what-if question, okay? How much better would the world be, listen, or, or, or your life or your marriage be? If anger didn't always direct what happened. We've all got reasons to be angry. We've all got reasons to be frustrated. We've all got difficult people in our lives. 
but what if we didn't fight fire with fire? Now, now I, when I was doing this and I was praying about this service and praying about this message, I started thinking about what Jesus said. And, and rather than saying, God, I could never do that, I was like, what if, Matt, you've done some dumb things, you've said some hurtful things, and, they, and it all came from you were just frustrated. What if you were the type of person that your frustration or your anger or your reason to be bitter or your reason to be suspicious or your reason to be cynical or your reason to be skeptical, what if that didn't get the best of you, but the best God has for you is what came out of you? That's just a what if. And I started thinking, guys, like, gosh, if I, if I could become that kind of person, I would immediately become a better husband. I would immediately become a better father. And, then, and when that happens, the, you begin to get opened up to the teachings of Jesus. And you begin to think, maybe the person who created me knows best what to do with me. Now, now not everybody's, you may not be there, and that's fine, but I just, we need to embrace the radical, revolutionary vision of Jesus. Not to go to heaven when you die. But how you live in a broken, fallen world, well, people, well, people will slap you in the face, literally and metaphorically. I mean, that's what some of you are dealing with right now. The world or your enemy or a difficult person, they may not have physically slapped you, but emotionally they have. You got a raw deal on something. Someone's trying to take your shirt, and you're fighting, and you're fighting, and you're consumed by it, and you're consumed by frustration or anger or bitterness or cynicism or whatever negative emotion, and you have a right to feel that way and be that way, but Jesus is saying, you don't have a right to act out of that because I have a vision for you that's better than that. So just, just, just stop for just a second. I mean, let, let, I mean, I can go simple, I can go extreme. How many marriages would be better off if we did it Jesus' way? How, how, how many less people would be killed? I mean, there's just so many ways to go with this. So just embrace the what if and the radical revolutionary message. Because listen, listen, so many times, and it's happened in the Bible Belt, and a lot of us grew up with this, and we need it to die. So many times the whole vision, the thing of Christianity was you just don't want to go to hell, and you just want to go to heaven, do these three things, pray this kind of prayer, and that's good, you're good. And then we go out and we live a life that that we are hijacking the vision God has for us and not being the people God intends for us to be. And when we don't do it God's way, we get death and destruction. So we read the Sermon on the Mount. Before we read it as a list of impossible to-dos, we need to say, what kind of person can do those things? And then Jesus comes into verse 41, and he gives us that what I think is one of the most powerful metaphors given. In fact, this metaphor is used today in businesses, and books have been written even by like non-Christians because the metaphor is so powerful. Here's what he says, verse 41. He says, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, let me give you the context. He's speaking predominantly to Jewish, Jewish people who are becoming followers of his or interested in becoming followers of his. And at that time, Israel, the, the geographic Israel, was occupied by the Romans. And the Romans had a law that they could force someone in an occupied territory, the Jews, to walk, to carry their soldier gear, their pack and things with them. Uh, and they had to go with them 
of about a mile, really about a thousand paces, but we just translate it as a mile in, in, in today's English translation of the Bible. So you imagine you're going to Kroger, or you're going to Walmart, and a Roman comes up upon you and says, hey, you got to do what I'm telling you to do, carry my pack for a mile. They've interrupted, they've disrupted. You view them as, you know, as imposters in your culture and on your land. You, they are your enemy militarily and in so many different ways. They are your enemy. And yet the law says you got to do what you got to do. But think about that for just a second. And then Jesus says to this crowd, I mean, this, this is what I call a space maker sermon. It's not a feel-good sermon because Jesus preaches that to these people. And they're like, you want us to do what? To who? Because this anyone is not just anyone. This anyone is your enemy. This anyone is the one who is sitting on the promised land that was promised to our ancestor Abraham. And you said, what, Jesus? I'm trying to do the shortest steps I can. I'm not trying to give him any one inch more than one mile. And you want me to go two? No one can do that, Jesus. You can't do that. But Jesus invites you to become the kind of person who can. So embedded in this second mile are some implications for us. Where Jesus is saying, let's be or become the type of person who does more than expected and more than what's required of him. We're not just checking boxes. Check, I went to church. Check, I didn't say a bad word today. Right? Check, I walked with that crazy, ludicrous Roman for a mile. We're becoming the type of person who goes above and beyond what's expected and what's required. Let's keep pressing. Be or become the type of person who's not controlled by their situation and the people around them. There's people here listening to me this weekend, and you are a hostage to your circumstances, and you have given the keys to your heart, your happiness, your joy, and your purpose. You've given it to a difficult person. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be that kind of person. You're not controlled by the situation. You're not controlled by the people around you. Something else is controlling you. And you know what's controlling someone who can go the second mile? The love of God in Christ. And that was last week's message, why we're compelled by the love of Christ. Because you know how God loved us? He gave us enemy love because we were enemies of God. We were people who said, God, I'm not going to do what you created me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And God loves you so much, he put his son on a cross for you. When that love hits your heart, you you become the kind of person who can also love your enemies because you and I were once the enemy of God. Be the type of person who's not controlled by situations or people. You're controlled by what we call the gospel, the love of God in Christ. The, it, it continues. Be the type of person that doesn't see adversity as something that's always negative, but adversity is an opportunity. Hey, here's a Roman soldier who's interrupted, disrupted my day, who doesn't belong on this land. But he's told me I got to carry his junk for a mile. I'm going to go too. And bless him. Be the type of person 
who rejects the typical and justifiable reaction and instead gives a blessing. Be the kind of person, yeah, are you mad? Are you, I mean, I get mad and frustrated if a car's going 55 in the left lane on the interstate. Like the, fifth, the left lane is 80 plus, right? You policemen can correct me later. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, I, I get mad about that. I get frustrated about that. And Jesus is like, hey, they interrupted. They disrupted. They don't belong in your land. They're technically your enemy. You're justified to be frustrated. But get beyond that. Bless them. Now, and Jesus is getting somewhere because he's like, hey, if you live this way, people start asking, why do you do what you do? And you get to share the love of Christ with them because that's the only explanation for what you do. Now, because now, here's the deal. Nobody listening to me is born a second miler. Nobody is born a second miler. In fact, we have to be born again by being invaded by the holy love of God. And then we can start living in and under, not the rules of this world, but the rules of the kingdom of God. See, the rules of this world are if somebody smacks you in the face, you smack them back. The rules of this world are if, if you're supposed to go one mile, you go one, but you don't go anymore. You only do what's required of you. The rules of this world are, if he's your enemy, you don't owe him anything. Jesus says, but when you're born again, because you've been invaded by the holy love of God, you want to love people the way God has loved you. When you and I were still enemies of God. You see it again, Colossians 3. Put on your new nature. How do I get a new nature? I'm not born a first, second miler because you must be born again. And be renewed as you learn. So he's saying, hey, the, it's like a kid, it's like a newborn baby. They don't know how to walk yet, but they learn. So as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It's who we're becoming, not what we're doing. So don't make this into a religion of a checklist of do's and don'ts. Make this a relationship that, that you are so loved by Christ that you become like him as you learn from him. And then Jesus is going to expand upon this and explain it even more. Uh, uh, this vision for what it means to be a human being in the kingdom of God. He says this, so give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And he says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that kind of makes sense, right? Everybody does that. Yeah, we love our neighbors, people like us, think like us, look like us, vote like us, talk like us, right? That's it. And then people that aren't like, that don't meet those criteria, they're kind of our enemy. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Listen, so that you may be children of your father. Children who have your father's nature in them. In God's love, God's nature is to go the second mile because that's what Jesus did on the cross. So that you may be children of your father in heaven. For God, the father, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then he says, this is incredible what he says. He says, listen. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have from God? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? So he's saying, hey, non-followers of Jesus, you know, we might say atheists, 
they even love those who love them. That doesn't make you any different. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? So Jesus' vision for humanity is extraordinary. That we would become the type of people who could love those who don't love us. Greet and bless those who persecute us. Go the second mile with our enemies. He says this, don't even the Gentiles do the same? Now, now look what he's done. It's so marvelous. And Bible Belters, we need to hear it. Because we want to just look at people and say, are you going to heaven or hell? Jesus never does that. He's like, hey, are you living differently than, and loving differently than Gentiles and tax collectors? Do you look the same as they look, which he calls ordinary? And so listen to what he just said, okay? Listen, listen, listen. There is a radical difference between a good person and a child of God. There's a radical, and, and Jesus is not after good people. He's creating a multi-ethnic family of people by faith who have been born again and start looking like he looks in terms of who they are in their heart of hearts and in their character. There is a radical difference between a good person and a child of God. And, and, and this is the way a guy named Mel Blackaby says it. He says, people see us on the first mile, but they see Jesus through us on the second mile. And God wants to show the world himself through his people. That was the original plan, right? Remember that? Adam and Eve, hey, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving you dominion over the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Go fill it. What's, the, what's he saying? Hey, Adam and Eve, make a big family and go out and represent me all over creation. And, and, and what did we do? We said, nah, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do it our way. And instead of using the bat to hit baseballs, we used the bat and we were destructive. And murder entered the world, and divorce entered the world, and shame entered the world, and guilt entered the world, and anger entered the world, and frustration entered the world, and, and revenge, and retaliation, and all those things entered the world because we did it our way, and God did not give up on us. He put his son on a cross for us and instead of us so his holy love could come into us, transform us so we could get on the second mile so people see Christ through us. That is the vision of a human being. That is the vision of a human being. And there is a battle for that vision, right? And then Jesus wraps it up and he says something that, that if, when, I, when I read this verse, man, it is scary. So I'm going to have to work on it with us, okay? He says, so just be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, so that's what scares a lot of people. Let's unpack it. First, this word perfect has the connotation of this is the goal. This is where we're headed. This is the maturity and completion. Okay, that's what it means. 
So he's not just saying, snap, become perfect. He knows we are a work in progress, but he has showed us with the second mile analogy, turn the other cheek, he showed us what it looks like. And with a powerful metaphor that's very memorable, very sticky, get on the second mile, get on the second mile. So that's the direction we're moving, okay? That's his vision for us, is to move to be a second miler, okay? That's his vision for us. That's the direction he wants us to go. So he's not expecting perfection today. And then this little word be is probably best translated shall be. It's in the future indicative tense, which means it's, we're not there. We're moving in that direction. So it's a command, yes. It's a hope as well. It's a promise too. So when you read it, it should read kind of like this. If you, we were kind of reading it in the Greek, it would be like, as you, and I'm going to add some words, as you're following Jesus. Resting in his love, that's next week, you are becoming perfect as your heavenly father is already perfect. You are looking more like your creator. You're returning to your created purpose. Okay? All right. So, let's meet ourselves and hear the invitation from God. First is this. Maybe you're here this weekend and you have overlooked who you are becoming or who you have become. And, and, and you're sitting here like, you know, somewhere along the way, I became bitter. Somewhere along the way, I became more interested in operating out of anger and frustration than out of the holy love of Christ. Somewhere along the way, I became a cynic. Somewhere along the way, I became fearful, afraid, and insecure. A second miler is not fearful and afraid of anything. And you're hearing an invitation to just go back, kind of where you got off, and you miss Jesus, or you stopped staring at the gospel and standing in awe of what he's done. So hear the invitation. Let's just go back to where we departed. Repent where you need to repent, and rejoin Jesus in following him. To the second mile. Another group of people. And, and maybe you're leaning on an excuse. And, and, and maybe your excuse is really good. Like in your mind, you're right now you're saying, Matt, but you don't know what they did to me. Maybe you're, maybe you're saying, yeah, Matt, that's, it sounds so good, but you don't know what I've been through. Full disclosure, no, I don't. But Jesus does. Listen, he has something better for you than to be ruled by pain, trauma, hurt, disappointment, let down, unmet expectations. So take that excuse, stop giving it, and start walking with Jesus forward from this, day, this moment on, okay? I want to speak to Rock Bridgers. What are we committed to? And, and any of you who consider yourself, you know, I, I, I want to go to church. As a church, are we committed to how many people are attending or who we are becoming? We're Americans, we love attendance, right? I mean, we're at the game. How many were at Easter? We love it. 
Jesus is interested in who are we all becoming. It's one reason we have revamped membership in our all-in, and we've got so many other things we're praying through and thinking through. Because, listen, we are less and less interested in just raw numbers of people attending. That tells us something. But are we becoming more like people who get to the second mile? All right? Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Okay? Right now in your life, don't think about everything. There's probably one area, one situation, one th something in your life where the vision of Jesus is better and more compelling than what you're currently doing. I know there is in mine, okay? Full disclosure. You know what? You're, you're trying it your way. You're a first miler in your marriage. You're a first miler in this area. You're not even on a mile or something, but you're just, you're just hearing God say, hey, listen, my way is better. I love you too much to let you stay there. So just because God's not going to overwhelm us and say, hey, let's all get our act together today. He's going to invite us one step at a time. <coughs> Where is his invitation hitting you right now? Would you just write that down somewhere? Maybe you're going to talk about it with your small group or who brought you or just put it down to pray with God about and just begin to just say, okay, God, I realize the way I have been doing X. I realize, God, my vision for Y or my vision for this or that is just not working. Would you help me? Would you show me? Now, you may, most of us, whatever our thing is, we're going to have to invite people to help us, our small group, uh, our D group. Uh, you know, the person who invited you, we're going to have to do that. That's, that's part of God's plan. That's okay to get to the second mile. You can't do it alone, okay? But just begin to give that to Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want us all to understand something, okay? This is not a try harder sermon. This is not a try harder, do better sermon. You have to be born again and operate from the nature of, God put in you, not the nature of your sin, your flesh, the world, society. Operate from the nature God put in you. The DNA is in you if you are born again. If you're not born again, hear the invitation, not from Matt Evans, from the Holy Spirit. Would you, be born, would you become born again by giving your life to Jesus Christ right now? Right now. No hesitation. Jesus, you're better than me as the leader. God, Jesus, I give you my sins. I give you the story of my life. You need to be born again. If you are born again and you know that, realize Jesus' vision for you is to become a second miler. I want to close and give you some questions. All right, what if we change the question that we all get asked? Hey, honey, how was your day? Hey, son, how was your day? What if we changed it to this? Who were you today? Were you a child of God today? Or did you look more like a non-born again follower of self, Satan, or society? Okay? How was your day? Who were you today? Doesn't matter what happened to you. If that Roman made you go, asked you to go a mile, did you go to today? And, and, and then we could add to that, where were you today? Were you on the first mile where people saw you maybe doing some good expected things? Or were you on the second mile where people saw Jesus, Christ in you? 
the hope of glory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your vision. God, when I think about my life, when I've operated on the vision I've set for myself, God, (laughs) your way is better. Your vision, Jesus. So I just want to invite all of us, God, to give you something. Small, big, doesn't matter. Where we know right now because of clarity and illumination of your Holy Spirit, we know in this area, our vision, our way is not working. And may we hear your invitation to follow you. To become the kind of person who can go the second mile. God, there's some people here, and instead instead of anything about that, they just need to hear the invitation, you must be born again. You must have the nature of God invade your life, the love of God invade from the cross to the human heart. And I pray, God, if there's anybody here, and that's where they are, they would just say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I invite you as best I know how to come into my life, take away my sin, pay my sin debt. Thank you for doing that. But Jesus, now, as best I know how, and I don't know everything it looks like, Jesus, but as best I know how, I just want to follow you. I want to follow you from this day forward. I see where you're taking me. I see you want me to get to the second mile, and you're going to move with me and lead me and help me. And I thank you. I just invite you, Jesus. God, anything that's being done in the name of Jesus, I praise you for it because you're being glorified and honored. And we're becoming more like the men and women you created and died for us to become. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.